The Kids in the Hall, Canadian Horror Films, My Buddy Mike, The Band Rush, all things I adore, and they all come from Canada. Tonight, I added one more. Her name is Lynn Griffin. This is Manic Movie Monday. Tonight on the show, I am honored and humbled and super, super happy to have this amazing woman who I have just revered and loved for so long since I saw Black Christmas when I was in my 20s and then I saw Curtains when I was in my 30s. And she is just super amazing. Um, other Canadian fare would be Strange Brew. Um, she is just amazing. And I am so excited to welcome the one and only Lynn Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope I'm the one and only. <laughs> or if I could clone myself, I would. <laughs> Well, happy to meet you, Erin, and jealous that you're in Florida. Oh, well, it's, I mean, the weather's great. Oh, my goodness. So from what I know, I know you grew up in Toronto. And yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about what it's like to grow up in Canada, first of all. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm very, very much uh, Canadian, very patriotic. Um, uh, and when I did leave and I left for 12 years and I went to live in Los Angeles um and then all kinds of you know horrific things happened in Los Angeles you know the Rodney King trial the OJ Simpson trial so when I and I actually well I I met two husbands there okay nothing censored I met my first husband which um who was the director of photography on Strange Brew so that's what got me down to L.A. in the wow. beginning. Um, okay. I really, I really missed um, my hometown of Toronto a, a lot. And I used to sort of in my little digs in Los Angeles, I always had sort of a I call it like a maternity bag. You know, the one that you have that you go up. I've got to get out of here tonight. I've got a bag packed. Right. Your go bag. Your go bag. Yeah. So I would always have that standing by. But yeah, when I came back, I really kissed the ground. I mean, it it was, um, you know, I'm the daughter of uh, a high fashion photographer. My dad was a high fashion photographer. My mother was an actress turned talent agent. My sister is a talent agent who, and my mother represented me and now my sister represents me. Um, so we were uh, a very theatrical family. I mean, my my dad took pictures of me. I I was on uh, the cover of my grade four speller, uh, um, <laughs> which actually was fairly uncomfortable when I would see the other kids drawing like horns and pitchforks and stuff. But um, it was, and I have an so I have an older sister, um, and and that's it now. It's just uh, me and my older sister. Both my parents have passed away. But it was um, very interesting because from a very early age, I was involved in some other or other form of show business. So I started out like as a baby model and then kind of graduated to kind of catalog, teenage catalog stuff. And then when I was 
about 15, I started doing a, a television show here called Drop In, which was a sort of magazine show for kids. But it ran for five years and I kind of grew up on that. And I did lots of commercials as a kid. I, I didn't really um, spend all that much time um, at school, like per se. I did a lot of it uh, by correspondence. Um, I was more comfortable in the adult world, like making money being an actor person, maybe, than, um, than actually being a student. So um, then I decided, you know, once I graduated from high school, I went, well, this is crazy. I mean, this is obviously the business I'm supposed to be in. There's no point in pursuing university or college. So um, at, at that point, um, not long after that, I got a, a, a play that sort of changed my life because it went on forever. It was called Leaving Home by David French. And it went on forever in many different incarnations. And that theater family kind of became my family because I'd lost my father then. Um, and funnily enough, the father in that play, his name was Sean Sullivan. And my husband's name now Sean is Sean Sullivan. Wow. So um, there's lots of weird coincidences co on family. Because, okay, here's the other one. I was born September 17th. My sister was born October 17th. And I was born, no, that's right. No, I was born September 17th. Sister, October 17th. Mother, November 17th. And me, March 17th. There you go. We're the 17 girls. And do you ever find that like interesting or odd or even lucky things happen to you on the 17th? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's totally yeah. a thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so yes, um, you know, I had uh, uh, one of those kind of crazy um, showbiz kid um childhoods however you know my mother really wasn't a stage mother um and nobody really forced me to do anything i just sort of loved it and gravitated to it and and so it was a natural move to just pursue it as my lifetime career <laughs> that's so wonderful though i mean that's it's amazing that you grew up in sort of this performing arts family and then mm -hmm. you actually wanted to perform you know as opposed to going in totally opposite direction absolutely and and the other thing is you know when when i graduated high school it was very common to then pursue like higher learning you know either at somewhere like rada or somewhere like juilliard hmm. and most of the people who were advising me at that time said but You'll go away for four years and you might be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, all the doors are opening to you anyway now. So why don't you just keep pursuing it rather than, you know, going for uh, higher learning? Uh, mm. You know, which I, I kind of regret in, in a way, although I did, um, I did sort of fake my way into a lot of doing a lot of theater. When I, when I was younger, just because I, you know, I, I lied and I said that I had done Shakespeare and that I knew how to fence and that I, I, 
how to do all these things you learn in theater school. And um, I guess I fake it till I made it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's so funny. I can't believe, you know, it's funny. Like I was thinking about your, I was looking up on your IMDb and I realized who your husband was. And I, your husband was in a movie called Ski Patrol, which I yes, grew up as, as suicide. Yes, as he was. Suicide, where he would talk to the, he would talk to his like alter ego at the same time. <laughs> yes. So I you can it. imagine what our married life is like. And and he's also one of the one one of the more memorable parts of um who's that girl? Oh, that's nice. You'd like to hear that. Yeah. Because he usually gets Wayne's world. Oh yeah. No, like because yes. of Bohemian Rhapsody and being Phil yes. and in the in the car. The yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> the things that we are famous for. In Reeves. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of which, now Black Christmas is without a doubt my favorite horror film of all time. Um, I I I came into it way later than everyone else. I um I saw it in my twenties when I was married to my first uh, my first husband. Okay, oh, when I was with last, well, I am divorced. And I'm not alone. <laughs> we hope to get I hope to get married someday again. Um, but for all intents and purposes, my first husband. So. When I was married to him, we were watching a Bravo uh, documentary. Uh, it was like a top, you know, 100 scariest moments in horror. And right. uh, Bob Clark was on there discussing Black Christmas. And I said, what is this? I, I've never, I, I think I've heard of it. I've never seen it. We knew there was a video store down the street. So we <laughs> got a copy of it. <laughs> and... I, from the very first obscene phone call, I was riveted. I was horrified, disturbed, but also couldn't look away. And it was a time where there was almost no, like, DVDs of it at the time. So mm -hmm. I had to, like, find DVDs and then I would buy them for all my friends. And I would be like, you need to see this movie. You need to see this movie. You oh, need to see wow. <laughs> wow. So... So all this resurgence of interest is your fault. Yes, it's all me. Right. I, I'm, oh, I'm all the so grateful to you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, you know, people have discovered me from uh, under a rock. It's my fault. <laughs> so it was interesting to learn how many people really love that movie. Like it's Steve Martin's favorite movie of all time. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a new one on me. Mm -hmm. I've heard Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino. Yep. and Elvis. Oh, Elvis. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. What? No. No. Yeah, really. I, I had never heard that. But yeah, Steve Martin had, he had met Olivia Hussey and, right. and said, you know, you're in my favorite movie of all time. And Olivia Hussey was like, oh, Romeo and Juliet. And he goes, no, Black Christmas. Oh. I've seen it 16 times. Oh, my God. Why hasn't he contacted me? <laughs> Steve, if you're listening on Spotify, I'll sell you a Christmas ornament. Actually, I'll give you one for free. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you got that when were you 19 when you did that movie? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it was. Uh, if I'm thinking, maybe apart from you know, some television that I had done. It was probably 
I think it was my first feature film. And at the time I was actually like, I was a Shakespearean kid. So I was working at Stratford, Ontario mm. and Shakespeare. So for me to be cast with Olivia Hussey was like, what a talk about, you know, starstruck because wow. I mean, I thought I'm going to be on set with her and I'm going to be able to ask her about Franco Zeffirelli and Romeo and Juliet <laughs> and Leonard Whiting and how great is that? So, um, yeah, it, it was, I'm pretty sure it was my first, uh, and Art Hindle plays, oh, what did he, he I love Art Hindle. In his, in his fur coat. I, he tells me that it was also my first screen kiss. Um, oh. And he was quite upset when I said I didn't remember that it was my first one. Funny <laughs> because but, he kisses you when you come, when he comes to the party. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, then, Chris. Chris was Chris, his character. Chris Hager? Well, I don't know what it was. Chris yeah, Hager, yeah. I believe so, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people ask about that fur coat, that raccoon coat, and I tell people he still has it. He's very proud of that coat, friends. And you, we actually get to work together now and then. And then so oh. it's actually kind of fun to reminisce. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I, I love Art Hindle. I, you know, I, I, oh, I he's a doll. He's just, he just seems like such a gentleman, you know? Well, I wouldn't, sorry, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> he's so, yes. And he's wicked a little bit, wicked. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a DVD version of Black Christmas where they asked us to go back and visit. Yes. And you walk through the house. And we walk through the house and those people got me pretty um drunk and they were feeding us feeding us like wine all afternoon and and I remember kind of saying to Art at the end you know was that was I like what did I say did I say (laughs) things that were appropriate or not or what whatever and and he was just trying to get me to kiss him again I think anyway he's that he's a doll he's just lovely and He's, his career continues to this day to be extraordinary. He's always working. Amazing. Totally amazing. What was it like working with Bob Clark? Oh, well, I loved him so much. I called him Uncle Bob. He made the set so jovial and fun and just like it was a constant party. And even though, you know, the two of us and the cameraman Bert Dunk were sort of in the attic for most of my time on set. <laughs> he just made it so much fun. He was he was sitting opposite me in the rocking chair, and he had his foot on the rocker, and he was the one that was rocking it oh. and talking me through it. And um, he was, yeah. I I mean, I, I I often comment that Bob Clark's two Christmas movies are Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. And that shows you the two sides of Bob because he really does have this wonderful, funny, jovial side. And I, I, I don't think we ever really felt like we were in a horror movie, like it was going to be so scary when we saw it. And I certainly didn't think it was going to be as scary as it was when, because I didn't know really until I guess I saw it for the first time. I didn't know what was being said on the phone. I thought it was, yeah, it was just a dirty phone call, Bob said. A dirty phone call. You know, I mean, I was like, well, as you said, I was like 19 years old. My idea of a dirty phone call 
was pretty tame, I think. <laughs> I think anyone's idea of a dirty phone call is pretty tame compared to what is in compared that movie. To, I mean, that yeah. that's a yeah. very... Yeah. Even I'm 42 years old and it still yeah. gives me chills when I hear that first well, time. And when you think of when the film was made, oh, um, that was pretty risque. Mm. Also, the other thing that I find really interesting that young women tell me how it's an empowering film for them, because first of all, in the film, Olivia talks about getting an abortion. Yes. In 1974, that was like, no way. And also because in the end, she ends up virtuous Mm -hmm. and she ends up, well, we think she ends up anyway, with the killer in her lap. No spoilers, no spoilers, because, you know, I don't know how the film ends. But they (laughs) say how empowering Jess is as a character now, like, Like in the kind of after like Me Too movement started. And I find that fascinating because, of course, it didn't cross my mind at the time. But when I look at it now, I say, yeah, she was a really um, strong woman and uh, determined woman. um, If you think about that movie coming out in 74. Absolutely. And I love the fact that she she has this this wonderful line where she says, do you remember when we were first dating and you told me all the dreams that you had about being a concert pianist and how you wanted to do this? And he's like, yeah. And then she goes, and do you remember all the dreams I told you that I had? Uh, Yeah. And that just wasn't at the time, especially with slasher movies, women were not that well-developed of characters. They were not that emotionally well-developed. And, well, and and they were usually victimized. Really yeah, very much and even so. even the genre as it progressed. Yes, the women were victimized horribly. Yeah, um, and I find I find it kind of hard to kind of think Agreed. about those like Saw and oh that, that yeah, you just go oh my god. I mean, I, Black Christmas was very groundbreaking for a lot of reasons, but I think it really did sort of um, continue that idea of a psychological drama rather than being considered a slasher film i always think the things that you don't see or that on film are scarier than actually seeing someone getting to death yeah but the fact that there's sort of some unknown presence is very kind of hitchcockian right that you kind of are afraid of what you don't know or don't see um so I think it was very groundbreaking for that reason. Lots of other reasons, just technically. I mean, I know because I ended up sort of going into the John Carpenter world that with Halloween, he was inspired by Black Christmas. Yes. Um, and a funny side note, when I moved to L.A., I ended up living in John Carpenter's house. He he didn't live there anymore. <laughs> oh, that would have been. Oh, this is how rumors start. Right. But I I was very close friends with um, Nancy Loomis, who was in Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. So there was that kind of uh, one degree of separation. Absolutely. My favorite character in Halloween by far is is Annie. So, yeah, I mean, Nancy Loomis was just 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 amazing because she said you are the good girl and I was the bad girl. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so much fun. I love yeah. I love that character. That's pretty much like I I that's why I like Black Christmas is that the female characters are not played as well. They're not played as dumb. Not a single one of them is played as no. dumb, and they're not played in any kind of like they're they're very sexually assertive in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, And they're very much uh, in charge of themselves and they have, you know, a future and dreams and they're pursuing them. And and they're just all of them are very smartly written. Yes. All of them. And, you know, the actresses that they got to play them, like Margot Kidder and Andrea Martin. I mean, yeah, those ladies are really astonishingly smart and um, forces of their own, you know, forces of nature. And you you mentioned that the set was like kind of, you know, was very jovial and like a like a big party. Did you guys develop friendships because of the movie or were you guys kind of in your own little worlds? Well, you know, Olivia had, you know, a a huge role to carry. So she was a little more distant from the rest of us. I. I I got to admit, because I I was playing sort of the perpetual virgin that I was trying to keep a little distance from the bad influences, which I thought would be Margot. Margot Kidder. <laughs> um, Margot was a very kind of wonderfully funny method actress. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, drinking and, and she liked to improvise some things and uh, she was having a lot of fun. But when we were, you know, when we were doing the party, I mean, you know, it's so funny when I, I talk about a lot of the people in Black Christmas. And I mean, apart from being able to work with art quite frequently, we kind of went separate ways. I mean, Andrea moved away. And it's funny because when I lived in L.A., people were always trying to get together um, the Canadians in L.A. And I went, well, <laughs> you didn't want to get with together with me when we're in Canada. So now that we're all expats, what's the point? <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, I I run into actually more of the ladies from Curtains. I'm friends with Leslie Donaldson very oh. much. Right? We we do um, shows together, and we we have these dreams that one day that we're we're going to star in a stage version of whatever happened to baby Jane and I'll pay Betty Davis part and she'll be Joan Crawford. We have this dream that this will happen. Um, But yeah, I stayed more in touch with some of those ladies. I mean, it's a funny business that, you know, you get so close over, uh, you know, weeks and weeks that you're working together. And then all of a sudden everybody goes their separate ways. And it's funny too, because when I think of curtains and the whole premise of it being uh, six actresses up for the same part and one of them will kill to get it, I go, that's too unquestionable. <laughs> Canadian film as young ingenue actresses, you know, there was a fair amount of competition. And certainly once I'd gone to L.A. and then came back from L.A., I had this cred, right? Mm. Because I'd done some work in L.A., you know. I'd been on American television series and stuff. So um, 
you know, there is there is sort of a natural, um, amicable jealousy, we'll say. Gotcha. Now, yeah. so from Black Christmas, did it, did you immediately go into other television, or did you stay? Did you stay in the theater? Well, I did. I did a, quite a lot of film because I also did another film called The Amateur, uh, which starred John Savage, Marta Keller, and Christopher Plummer. So, which is actually a, a really cool film. It's definitely worth watching. It is another one where I I die. Brilliant. My husband and I have a joke, a running joke, saying we we made a list at one point of how many different ways that I had died on film. Wow, and it's quite extensive. I don't I don't think there's too many that I've missed out on. <laughs> that were. <laughs> I mean, look at this face. I just want to. You had those beautiful, but you you have those gorgeous eyes. Those eyes are so beautiful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. But yeah. Uh, And the funny thing is people have said to me, how do you feel about, you know, this, this latter day sort of attention because they used your photo with a plastic bag on your head. On every movie poster. On every movie poster. And, um, you know, Bob, when we were doing it, Bob did take me aside and showed me what they were, like a mock-up of what they were going to use. And, you know, at the time I went, oh, that's cool. Like, I didn't think it would be like, you know, 40 years later, I'd be signing photographs of that that image over and over and over again. It's like, it's pretty hilarious. Of you sucking (laughs) in cellophane, basically. (laughs) I mean, I am on the on the poster for the amateur as well, without a plastic bag on my Ooh, head. But, okay, but um, it it is sort of. Um, oh, I don't think I want a glamorous picture now. It's been so uh, amusing and wonderfully. Um, I don't know. It tickles me to think that people are so in attached to that image and. And also because I've noticed in a lot of television shows, a lot of people are getting killed with a plastic bag on their head now. <laughs> you did it so first. Started, yeah, we started a trend. You started a trend. Yes, that movie poster is the reason I was not allowed to have that in my house. My my ex-husband would not allow us to have that movie poster because of your face and the... And That's the, funny. Yeah. That's funny. Because, you know, other people have come up to me and said, I had one couple come up to me at a convention saying, we watch Black Christmas on our anniversary every year. And I went, is it at Christmas? No. Right. Hey, whatever works for you, baby. Hey, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it was the first movie they saw when they dating. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I know that Black Christmas has such a huge, it, we, it really does have such a huge following, and and I'm I'm really glad that it's had this resurgence. Now, curtains, on the other hand, <laughs> right? So, yeah. The funny thing about curtains is that I had never even seen curtains until I think I hit my 30s, and I knew they were releasing it on like a Blu-ray, and I worked at a video store, so I was like, okay, I'll I'll get a copy of it and watch it, and I knew that it was fraught with 
all kinds of production changes and casting changes and all kinds of stuff. But there's something very charming about curtains that I love. And I absolutely adore your character. Just my favorite image of you is when you're standing on stage doing stand up because you've got your hair kind of up and you've got the purple and you're just you've got this like delightfully psychotic manic energy about you. Which was which was actually pretty true because I never, ever done stand up. I actually did it in a stand up club in front of a live audience and they filmed it and Oh, oh yeah, so it was that's real. That was that whole real. thing was the at the it, Yuck Yucks wasn't, in Toronto. It wasn't set up at all, except that I would go up in front of this audience and they asked me to write some jokes. And I went up in front of this audience. I was terrified. the The comedy club here is called Yuck Yucks, and it's where Jim Carrey got his start. So I mean, I've never done anything like that before. So I, I'm sure. Yes, definitely, there was some. Manic, uh, manic energy involved in going, please let them go. I mean, not that they weren't, they were told that they were, you know, supposed to find me funny. They weren't supposed to sit there and, you know, throw eggs or tomatoes at me. Um, it was still fairly nerve wracking. (laughs) So that is shot. Now that was shot in Canada. And was that shot, was that shot in Toronto was in that area? Okay. Yes. Yes, it was. And did you know any of those actresses before you were thrown into that? Um, I think I did. I think a lot of us um, vaguely knew each other, except for Linda Thorson. And of course, Anne Ditchburn um, was a ballerina. Um, but I, I mean, I think uh, like Deborah Burgess, Sandy Curry, Leslie and I probably had all auditioned for other things against one another. Um, over the years. So it was really kind of nice to be able to work with so many of them that that we actually did know and say, we finally all get to be in something together and not be vying for the same role. That was nice. That was a very nice, I mean, it, it was a nice camaraderie, you know, considering that when, and I was oblivious to anything that was going on uh, as it were, backstage or off screen. Uh, I wasn't really aware of that until, you know, we realized the film wasn't being released and then we were, were being brought back to shoot uh, more scenes um, mm. that we realized, ooh, without the director, um, which seemed, you know, unusual at, at the time. But I, I mean, I really, really loved working with Richard Chupka. Um, He had this sort of... Um, Bauteur, uh, very European way of of working, and he was also very, very handsome, very mm. generous, a very uh, you know a really lovely uh, director, and definitely you know a woman's director. Um, so I was a bit like a bit confused as to why we were shooting. As we shot a different ending, I shot a scene with Samantha. San- Sandy did all that scene in the costume prop shop that wasn't in the film previous. Mm. I mean, the film definitely has some kind of loopholes, or like <laughs> kind of black holes where you go, wait a minute, 
What it's kind of that? two it movies. Like in the jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's kind of two movies. In fact, someone was telling me, they're like, okay, you need to ask Lynn how it's possible that John Vernon leaps out of a window and then turns into a snowmobile. <laughs> and I yeah. said, I don't know. I, you know, um, yeah, there, there were some, really. And I, you know, I haven't watched it as often as I've been watching Black Christmas. Um, mainly because, you know, for the longest time, the only thing that was available, I mean, I saw it first in some really crummy theater in a very bad district in New York with a bunch of old guys on a, you know, Tuesday afternoon with about 20 old guys in the theater. With me. Oh, <laughs> man. It was only like a bootleg. And it was on like a like a four pack of horror films. Terrible, terrible transfer yes. of the film. And then when we realized that they were coming out with a Blu-ray, Leslie and I went down to New York to actually do the commentary um, that's on the DVD that was on the re-release. And we were just stunned at how beautiful the remaster was. It was yes. gorgeous. It's gorgeous. it had been just trashed otherwise. No, um, it was super hard to watch um the first like when we had it on vhs or whatever it was very hard to watch because the sound was very muted and the colors were very muted and it was just kind of like you know um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. when they remastered it 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 is absolutely beautiful and the sound is wonderful and everything is is lovely and you know leslie and i were looking at each other and saying god look how pretty we were We we had seen them, you know, and we'd gone, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. And um, we were very, very pleased uh, with what we saw. And and also, you know, when you're watching something many years later, there's lots of fun in in realizations. Because I love to tell people that my my mom was actually in that film. But nobody seems to be able to guess <laughs> Which one she is. Um, and I didn't realize it until Leslie and I were sitting in the screening and I went, oh my God. But my mom used to be able to talk herself into playing some little part in some thing I was <laughs> somehow or other. I did a mini series once and she managed to get a tiny part in the mini series as my mother in a, a mini series called I'll Take Manhattan. And and she's in, she's got this little tiny funny moment in curtains. And when I go to screenings, I usually tell people if they can guess who, who, who she is, which one of the mental patients she is, that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give them a gift, some kind of gift for, uh, for getting the answer right. But they don't get the answer right very often. Of course, now you look at it and you'll go, oh my God, you grew up and to look like her so it may be easier for people to guess now i still you know it's funny because there's like two there's there's two interpretations of that ending depending on who you talk to and my interpretation was that was that you 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 know you did all the well you know whatever we all know this is a spoiler 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 (laughs) alert guys we need to see curtains it's free on tubi go okay (laughs) yeah so but was my interpretation was that you had killed everyone. And then at the end, when you were, you know, performing, it was because you would put you had been put into the mental institution. 
Now, other people's interpretation is that it was all in your head the entire time Mm -hmm. and that you were performing in the mental institution and that you were basically just playing out the whole thing in your head because you were Mm -hmm. cranking. But I mean, I for me, I'm just like, I love either one. I think it's she's such a fabulous character. Patty is such a great character. She has the best lines in the movie. She is she's dynamic. She has this presence about her and she's like the person you want to be besties with, you know, and um, the C and and she's just she's sharp. You know, she's got this like quick wit. You're sassy. Um, Yeah. And but then she's got this beautiful, vulnerable moment uh, when you have that moment with John Vernon where you're like, you know, why? Because I don't have a staple in my navel like that centerfold and I didn't pirouette on your face like you know, the other one. Yeah. And it's it's such a great moment. It's a great moment as a woman to watch it because yeah. there weren't a lot of um, vulnerable depth type characters at the time that were women. That's getting it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's just such a great moment. And I think any woman that has ever been known as, quote, the funny one in the group, as as I have, you know, it's, oh, she's your funny friend, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. you can relate to that and can relate to sort of being with this group of, you know, really gorgeous women and then trying to sort of find how you can stand out, you know, right. and, and not yeah. sleep with somebody also right. like the fact right. that the fact that you wouldn't sleep with him, right. you know, I mean, that's just, yeah awesome yeah, that you, she would stand up to him and and uh and also use humor to deflect love it love it yes yeah. that's my family crest you know <laughs> it should be every woman's family crest it's, that's so true it's like using yeah. humor to deflect so that's a great question though is that was was john vernon because he always plays these very just evil characters i mean you've got curtains you've got animal house and you've got chained heat i mean really yeah 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 he's, he's never really played like you know the nice guy or yeah. soft loving soft loving teddy bear s type character no. so was 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 he a nice person to work with he was Crazy a rest very nice peace. person he was a, a very very nice person to work with and also because his background was also stage that we really connected on that level. Um, you know, and yeah. here I remember sort of him kind of wickedly looking at me going, you know, is this a come down from like <laughs> Shakespeare at Stratford? And, you know, here we are um, doing this horror movie that might never see the light of day. Anyway, he was he was lovely. I mean, it, there is, it is a funny situation, though, um, because Samantha Egger remained quite removed from us, but I think she chose to do that as the character. Um, but I have a very funny story when we were first getting sort of makeup tests and, you know, getting our, our wardrobe selected. And I was sitting opposite her in the makeup chairs, and she had like a handler, a lady handler who was very very british very british and this wardrobe person came in holding like several different dresses 
on hangers and saying, you know, Samantha, we, we wanted to know if you would like any of these dressers, dresses. And Samantha just gave a look to the handler and the handler looked at the wardrobe person and said, we don't like any of those dresses. Thank you. I went, wow. Okay. Dismiss. That, that's the way I want to be when I'm a star. <laughs> no. Um, and, and so, you know, other than the fact that when we came back to do the retakes, we did the, or the, um, the new scenes. One of the scenes that was brand new was me in the kitchen with just her mm. and the knife. That wasn't in the original film at all. So um, she was actually very nice at that point, I guess, one on one without all the um, trappings of it, uh, of the initial filming of it and what she was required to do. She had sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I think we'd all kind of went, what are we doing here? What's happening? And, you know, there was a totally different ending. I still did the monologue. I actually have photographs from the original ending. Oh. where Patty is in a theater and up on a stage with all the dead bodies lined up behind her. Which is and fabulous. That, it would have been so cool. It would have been so, so awesome. I mean, when I heard that that was the original ending, I was like, that is... Because, when, to be honest with you, when I first saw Curtains, I was younger. And when I first saw it and I saw that ending, I, I thought, I was like, are those people mentally ill or are they dead? Yeah, it's that I thought you would slaughtered an entire mental hospital. <laughs> but I and then the interesting thing is when when I've talked to, you know, some of the other women, they don't really remember that happening. And I went, well, I totally remember. I mean, maybe maybe you just had to. I don't know what you did to just like play dead, or maybe you just like zoned out all together everybody's on volume very clearly like where it was done what theater it was done in and wow uh, image of it and uh, what i was wearing and everything i remember all of that so i don't know i mean i i really you know i thought the other ending was a bit of a you know too much of a what i call you know tying it up with a bow that mm -hmm. it has that sort of oh look what hell you know and I'd love to think that it was all in her mind. I think that's fabulous. That she was just that psychotic. That she just had this, like, I woke up from this dream. That I, and I was going to play Audra. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, and I, I do like, because, you know, with both Black Christmas and with Curtains, I really like enigmatic endings to films. Films that, well, I mean, I think Black Christmas was always sort of left open to have a sequel. Uh, I don't yeah. know if Curtains would, although, you know, oftentimes people have said to me, we should get all those actresses together now that they're, you know, older and get them to do a remake of Curtains as as the woman now. All of us still trying to get work as actresses. <laughs> um, you know, all still vying for the same part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the other ending would have been way more enigmatic, which I kind of like a lot. Yeah, I think um, part of why I really love Black Christmas to go back to that. But like part of why I really love Black Christmas is that 
There is no real attempt to demystify the monster, the killer. Um, He's just someone who's batshit nuts, who climbs into a house, who terrorizes a bunch of women psychologically, and then goes after them one by one. And you can kind of piece together what has happened to him in his childhood by the phone calls. Granted, right. it also requires you to like watch the subtitles and, and really pay attention. You know, you can right. you can tell that obviously Billy had a very bad childhood, but there is no real there. There's no backstory to him. And I, I think that's kind of why I love it is because I don't want to know where the things I love come from. I just love the things I love. And and I love the fact that he's just a looney tune that he just that this is just something he decided to do and if you think about the timeline of the film in the sense that every time he kills someone he makes a phone call you know that he killed the little girl in the park before you know he went in and and, uh before he made that first really disturbing phone call um and climbed into the house and and everything else so i mean it's to me just like you said it's what you don't see it's what right. you kind of make up in your brain to be as opposed to someone spoon feeding you like this is this person and this is his backstory and this is you know this is why he does what he does and right. you know for right. me the, the scariest people in the world are people who say you know like when they go oh, you know Ted Bundy Ted Bundy I was just cheeks you owe me a coke yeah, because Ted Bundy, they interviewed Ted Bundy and they said, why did you do this? And they went down this list of things. Right. It's like, did you do it because you were a bastard? Did you do it because, you know, because of pornography? Did you do it because this woman broke up with you in your 20s? And he basically said every single time I did it because I wanted to. Right. And that's horrifying. It's horrifying. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's why. Black Christmas is such more, you know, it's just just more just terrifying because there's no rhyme or reason to it. Well, and they, uh, you know, the, I do remember this phrase: "The devil always wears a pleasing face." Ooh, I like that. that. Yeah, yeah, that that that's why uh, you know, I, I mean, why we've sort of created this image of what a monster looks like, so that we can remove ourselves and go. It's not, it's not really a human being. It's something other than that. It's something, you know, obviously satanic or whatever. I will tell you too, that there's a guy here. I think his name is Dave McRae. Anyway, he contacted me because he's made a film called It's Me, Billy. Oh, yeah. wow. You should, you should go online and check it out. Or, or if I can hook the two of you up somehow. Okay. Um, because he did it initially he was saying you know i'm doing this little uh a short film a sort of based on black christmas um but he's been he i I think he's doing another one um and i don't remember that it really reveals all that much more about billy but it's an interesting take on Mm. black christmas and it's actually extremely well done wonderful so it's called it's me, Billy. It's me, Billy. Anyway, yeah. I will I will try and, you know, hook you up however I <laughs> I just have to tell you, I'm so enjoying looking at you because you look like one of my very, very what I call um 
not biological, but adopted daughters who lives in San Diego, who I met when we were playing, when we were doing Romeo and Juliet together. And oh. she played Juliet and I played the nurse. Wow. And you remind me so much of her. Oh. And it, it's like, it's uncanny. You could be sisters. Thank so you. It's so very sweet. sweet. It's very oh. sweet. Thank and you. And you have sort of her personality too. Oh. It's crazy. Gosh. And she's probably exactly around the same age as you now. Yep. 40, 42. Yeah, she must be the same. And of course, you know, when I moved back to Toronto, we haven't been able to see each other. Well, and certainly since the pandemic, we haven't been able to see each other. But we do like very long, long phone calls with one another. She's not very into doing a Zoom. And that's why this is funny, because I'm looking at her going, like, this could be Rihanna. I'm talking to Rihanna. Yes. So how did you meet Sean? Did you hear him giggle in the kitchen? Giggled in the. Are you in the kitchen giggling? Yes. Okay, so, um, I was cast in a play at the Old Globe called "The Voice of the Prairie" by John Olive. Um, it was a play that three actors were in the play, but they played multiple roles. Um, when I arrived there to start rehearsals there was another actor in this the one of the three roles and his LA agent all of a sudden pulled him out of the play because it was pilot season and wanted him to go back and audition for pilots (laughs) in LA so lo and behold I've even like met this guy at a party and we talked to each other he's gone (laughs) so the first day of rehearsal where I would go, oh, okay, this has happened, in walks Sean. Well, for me, it was completely love at first sight. I was just, oh my God, who is this? So you know how um, when you're doing a play, like the first day you sort of have the designers talk and then you do a read-through of the play. And in this play, we were playing the two characters as 14-year-old kids, and then we meet again when we're older. It's a play about the birth of radio. So, but the character I'm playing is blind. Um, And the character that, the two characters that Sean plays are the little boy who I run away with, and then the radio kind of entrepreneur who hooks me back up. Anyway, um, so there was a moment when they're kids and they're kind of, you know, getting to know each other in the barn that they, in the script, we got to the point where it says they kiss. And usually like the stage manager just says, and they kiss, you know, or if it's something else, they'll go, she screams. But when we came to the part that was they kiss, I just hauled off and planted a big wet kiss on Sean. Everybody in the room gasped. Like it was like, Oh, oh, really? You don't do that. Anyway, I was so shameless <laughs> I, because I was actually married to somebody else who, you know, we were s- certainly estranged, but I was married to somebody else. Um, and we were, you know, we, we were very professional. We did the play. I kept trying to lure him to my apartment and he, he Sean wouldn't come. He was too shy. I kept saying, but, you know, come, I, I, I've, 
I made soup. I remember <laughs> just come out because we all stayed in this one kind of uh, kind of condo apartment building with different apartments that we called the Tower of Challenge. Anyway, I kept learning, trying to learn. Anyway, he wouldn't come. He wouldn't come. He was very good. Um, and then we moved back. Oh, here's an interesting part. We 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 finished the play. We both went back to L.A. where we were living, and Bob Clark, of all people, contacted us and said he wanted to film the play. So there mm -hmm. is actually a film version of that play with Sean and myself. I mean, not that it was ever released, but he shot it in order to try and sell the idea to a studio of making a film of it, um, which unfortunately never happened but yeah. somewhere in our archives we have the the video of that uh, effort which is absolutely lovely to have it wow. uh, like even archivally um although it was done you know very very professionally so um that's how we met um then you know it's just a pretty rocky like crazy beginning when you're he was with someone, I was with someone and stuff. But I I mean, it was just, uh, you know, even though I think Sean was a bit um, commitment phobic. And I was a married woman. Like, oh, yeah, what are you doing anyway? Um, it, it ended up, you know, being like we've been together for 33 years. Wow. Married for, what did he say, 26, 28? That's insane. I mean, I'd never been, I mean, before that, neither of us had ever been with anyone for very long, even though I'd previously been married. It was a very short, and uh, I, I actually married the director of photography of Strange Brute. Wow. So, whose name was Stephen Poster. So that's how I sort of ended up living in L.A. for 12 years, because I had married Steve and then Steve went off to shoot many, many other movies all over and uh, left me alone in LA by myself uh, with, um, which, which show Anyway, um, I don't try this at home kids. It's, it's complicated, <laughs> but um, it was definitely worthwhile, obviously uh, proven by the longevity of this relationship and the fact that we're still like hilarious. And we, we just did a play together. Sean wrote a play this, uh, well, he actually wrote it when five years ago, while he was in some kind of fever dream from, from being poisoned by bad water. He wrote this play called the Slaughter Brothers Dime Circus. Um, and we had been about to open it on in March 2020, when the pandemic hit, so we actually had it sort of on the back burner, but we finally got to do it this summer. So there we were working together. He wrote a part for me in it as the clown mother, and he played the master of ceremonies in this circus. And I mean, it's kind of a crazy circus that goes very awry um, because um, the woman sort of turns into a, a large uh, man-eating bug. My God. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Anyway, 
Um, so we did the play this summer. Um, we had someone come in and kind of grab grab bits of it to film. Maybe we'll be able to put something out together. Um, while we were in uh, lockdown, we did do a radio version of it, um, which I think you could probably find somewhere. Anyway, it's called The Slaughter Brothers Dime Circus, and it's written by Sean Sullivan. And the music is by Sean and his dear friend, Matt Reed, who uh, had worked a lot with Second City. Um, so, yeah. So we still work together. We still get along. We still make each other laugh. We still, you know, long into the night, we'll discuss um, who knows what. Like, what's our favorite food? Why didn't we get that other kind of ice cream? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> That just, you know, keeps you laughing in a, in a marriage. And so, yeah. And my mom passed away in 96. Hmm. Um, we were living in L.A. We were just about to come back. And uh, we were thinking of making a move here. But she passed away and left me a house. We came up to close the house. And I got a series that was called Wind at My Back. Sean then got a series called The Associates, and we ended up staying in Canada. Wow. And we never went back. We sort of, you know, sublet whatever to our friends in our apartment in L.A. and eventually just um, cut ties with L.A. and stayed here. And we were going back and forth to work. Um, but, you know, then it became more and more inconvenient and expensive. and. Um, trying to file taxes in two places was boom weird so um we ended up being and sean is now proudly a dual citizen nice uh, so he's got american and canadian citizenship both oh my yeah. goodness yeah now you also have a part in um a, a very like probably wildly inappropriate movie for today's for for, for, to, for today's climate but wow. called true, true identity Oh yeah, but you you will never see me in that film because they cut me out. Did they cut you out because it's you can in hear your my voice? IMDb. Hear my voice. Okay, but the whole scene of sort of you know it's a weird because Lenny Henry. Anyway, it was weird because I was brought in because I was a Shakespearean actress, and he was <laughs> the the premise of it was he was going to play Othello. Okay, so right and yes. So, so there was this thing of me coming in almost like, um, I don't know, some kind of coach to help Lenny Henry. Oh, you know, come on. And this girl who was playing Desdemona and I was playing Amelia and we were doing the scene, but Lenny Henry was never actually there while we were rehearsing. So yeah. I was playing his part and my part. And okay. So, anyway, so, but what? and I still get residuals. It's hysterical. You don't ever see me, but you hear my voice. Like I'm somewhere off in the wings of the darkness. Oh my goodness. So yeah, but yeah, it was that he has been trying to get work as an actor. So he's been trying to do whiteface and yep. then he gets cast as a fellow, right? And so, then, and then that's weird because, you know, I just go, nobody ever brings up your identity. I was wondering what it was like, what film did I did that would be not considered politically correct? Mm, probably quite a few, but 
And I love, I'm a huge Lenny Henry fan. So, oh, yeah. Oh, God. So, like, he, Chef, he was, that was, was great. I mean, apart from the fact that he barely showed up. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, no, because he, you know, he showed up when we were filming right. the scene. But most right. of the time when we were rehearsing it. Because, you know, you're rehearsing a scene from Othello. I was playing Othello for I was standing in for him. Weird. Weird, weird. So but, yeah. But, Yeah. I, I liked you too, and I particularly liked his uh, BBC series. Yes, Chef. Yeah, uh, he was very, He's just a very funny guy. What happened to Lenny Henry? Is no he idea. Still- I mean, mm. go- mm. that was one of those ones where um, I yeah. Could see- yeah, we should <laughs> we should look him up. Google search <laughs> Lenny Google Henry. S- what do you want Google search Lenny Henry? Um, I remember I had seen him on some some stand up things and and what have you, and I knew about True Identity because it was always on cable, and <laughs> and then my yeah. mother knew about Chef because she was a BBC America fan, so right. I knew exactly who he was, and I was like, oh, that's no, that's Lenny Henry, like you know, very just gorgeous British, you know, yum and yum, hilarious, and yes. hilarious. Oh, so I, I funny. Mean, he had his own series on bbc too called just the lenny henry show so funny and he was married to don french from french and saunders oh see i didn't know that that's cool yeah and then she was on vicar of dibley and yeah i know right it's like yes welcome back to the bbc america hour we love it you know we just signed up for brit box come on yes oh my gosh oh okay so i have a show for you if you we're going to cut all of this out. <laughs> uh, of course. Of course. But if you like. All, all that stuff about all our, our, our second husbands, our first husbands. Right. We're like, oh, Lord. Anyway. So, so there is a really wonderful BBC show called Split. And it's about oh. divorce lawyers. And Ooh. it's really like deep down. It's actually about this bond among these women that are sisters and their mother. And they're all lawyers. They're all divorce lawyers. And it's just it's on Hulu and there's only three seasons of it. Wow. And it just and of course, Split. you know, you get into it and you're like, oh, this is so great. And it's like, yeah, it's been off the air for a year. Oh, boo. Yeah. I'm just going to write that down. Yeah. I see. You know, we're here. I have senior moments. So I As it like, just like it's felt yeah, like split, it's like split. S P L I T. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're so enjoying, like, well, yeah, we've been, we've binged the, the last season of The Crown. I mean, you know, yep. we're, 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 you know, my parents, my mom was born in Glasgow. My dad was born in Wales. I mean, wow. I'm a, an Anglophile from way back, you know. Awesome. I, I mean, I I think if, if you are looking at me and saying, does she think the glass is half full or half <laughs> empty? I'm a bit on the pessimistic side. Awesome. So and Sean is exactly the opposite. Sean oh, that's is funny. Pollyanna to the nth degree. He's wow. like everything's sunshine and unicorns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, so it's an interesting combination. But I try to avoid the you know the doomsday <laughs> sort of <laughs> premonition of 
everything ending and try and try and find things, at least in my television viewing, that uh, will make me feel um, when we're yeah. all, you know, it's like, you know, everything's bad. Yeah, everything's bad. <laughs> everything's bad. Uh, we're all starving. We're all animals. Uh, no, yeah. Yeah. How did you do? How did you guys do during the pandemic? Like, how did you guys cope? You know, I think because we generally spend a lot of time together, um, either working on projects. We have our own little company that's called uh, Baby Monster Productions. Nice, which is uh, named after what Sean called me in originally well, I guess when we met that I was a baby monster so I mean and I'm also I'm a visual artist as well so I managed to do a lot of work because I do assemblage and collage on found wood wow. uh, and uh, yeah and with found objects and things so I whoa I just fell down <laughs> um, I just kicked the table so I I and Sean was writing a lot, and he's also a musician. So, oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah. So, I mean, it was hard. It's it's been hard because you end up sort of detaching from a lot of friendships. Um, and certainly for Sean, it was hard because all his family lives in either San Francisco or San Diego, and mm-hmm. you know, we do these. We were trying to do like family zoom calls once a week but he sean comes from a very big family so trying to get everybody together was always an issue and um and usually we get on the zoom call like the pandemic so, <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i think primarily it was you know not being able to work in our chosen profession mm-hmm. although during the pandemic, I ended up doing more film work than I ever have. I wow. feel like I, and with all those, you know, restrictions and, you know, wearing masks and shields and, you know, having to eat in your trailer with something delivered to you. I mean, the film, it's, it's like crazy trying to make film and do television during, but, but I was doing it. I did quite a few Christmas movies. I, I just finished a movie called uh, that um, um, that uh, Sofia Coppola is making a movie about Priscilla Presley about her book Elvis and Me. Oh, so I've just finished that. I mean, so there has been uh, for me anyway a, a lot of work, which like which is strange. I think it's because I finally let my hair go gray, and so now I'm like castable as the um you know kind of sweet chubby nanny (laughs) that i got the nanny vibe going on big time grandma vibe going on big time so um i i guess i'm castable because for the longest time i had red hair and people think people with red hair are dangerous i think (laughs) women women with women with red hair and freckles. Yeah. Oh, no. Dear. I mean, you know, for a while I was very much, you know, vamping around and playing vampy roles. Um, but then it all changed when I decided not to just to let my hair. I, go, I said, I think it's going gray. OK, let it go. So, yeah, I, I mean, the last 
the last year, the last two years have have been uh, good for me work wise. Mm. You know, and Sean not so much, but as I said, he writes a lot of music. He's he's he just got a huge Canada Council grant to do a video project. Um, so he's very good at writing grants as well. So he got this lovely grant, and he's gonna. I, I, I think it's all kind of embryonic at the moment, but it's very interesting to see. It's basically trying to bring and employ theater artists and push them into the digital world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even so, think about that. Yeah, because so many of us, you know, because theaters were literally shuttered completely here for mm. two years, uh, it's only really probably early this year, maybe about February, March, they started to gradually reopen mm. um, with still restrictions and masked and, you know, audience capacity being 50% and everybody sitting distance from each other. Mm. But, um, but yeah, he's very good at, you know, going up there in his little office and, you know, putting on the headphones. And, oh, and we just did, I had, written uh, and adapted a play uh, uh sorry a book written by emma donahue who wrote room uh, uh one of her short stories called man and boy and we were going to do that on stage it's a, a one person show that i wrote for sean but because we couldn't do it on stage now we've done a radio version of it and sean's been up there so he does the whole thing he speaks the whole thing and he's been up there putting um uh, as a foley artist putting all the sounds in and man and boy is about uh jumbo which is the most um famous elephant mm -hmm. the african elephant in the world and his trainer matthew scott wow and emma donahue wrote this wonderful short story called man and boy and i adapted it from her short story and the diaries of matthew scott so that's our christmas present to people we're sending out this um so he's been doing all but I've heard lots of elephant sounds coming from <laughs> that is so cool. this like love affair, this this trainer and this elephant. It's a really wow. lovely story. That is that's so beautiful. I'm it's in such awe of y'all's relationship. Like I think it's so awesome that you have managed to work in the same field and you know still support each other's creative endeavors and you are each other's cheerleaders and i think that's just so amazing yeah i think that that i, I mean we are proud of it you know we're, we're not perfect we've had our ups and downs and stuff and you know sometimes it's hard when when somebody's career is going better than yours or i mean the hardest time we had was actually when both of us had series because our personal life and our house went to hell <laughs> we went, we really need to hire someone to to clean the house, to feed the cats, to take the, where can we do all this? So that was like the hardest. Oh, oh my and goodness. the only thing that we argue about is American politics. That's not <laughs> Right? And wow. I mean, we're so grateful that, we're, that we weren't living there. Yeah. And all this latest, you know, debacle no. has been. You, going on and you should be incredibly stuff. grateful that you live in canada yeah Absolutely. we are so. we are <laughs> we really are hi sean and, <laughs> hi sean he just walked through he's like are you, are you? he's very good too he's been you know what he's he's 
he's learned to be this incredible cook during the pandemic. And he does the dishes after it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one. I know. I, I taught myself how to make sushi during the pandemic. Oh, cool. And I learned how to weightlift during the pandemic. This is a very cool thing. I did. I, I, my therapist was saying, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you're one of the only patients I've had that thrived during lockdown. Yeah. Cards on the table. I've been sober for 14 years. Hey, hey, <laughs> welcome. We have been for. Okay, now I'm trying to think what it is. About the same amount of time we have. Oh, my God. Okay. About the same amount of time. Like, I was thinking 10 years, but I think it's more like 12. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and, yeah. and yeah, we lost a lot of people during, like, literally during the pandemic. We had a lot of people relapse. Or we had a lot of people oh, sure. go out and never come back. Or we had, yeah. you know, we lost oh. people, too. So. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's been hard. And, you know, when we think about some of our friends, I had a friend who was like living on her own in a basement apartment, couldn't go out. And you're just going, how do you not go crazy? Right. I mean, at least, you know, we have each other and, you know, that's <laughs> but, you know, and, and, you know, hobbies that we enjoy and, you know, well, we right before the pandemic started, we had adopted a brand new kitten, so that kept us really entertained for a long time. Um, so, hold on, I'll show you. I'll show you what my pandemic was. Hold on, come here, okay. buddy. Come here, Murph. Oh, really? What you want me to? Oh my god, you're so cute. Oh my god. Okay, go lay down. Okay. And he was kissing the he was kissing the microphone. He was Pull going, down, buddy. Yes, I got a puppy during the pandemic, yes. and uh, and I mean a lot of you know, like I said, it was it was very life changing for myself. You know, I believe truly that it taught me what was important. It, it taught me the importance of yes. family, the importance of yeah. of human contact in general, and it it also taught me to be way more self sufficient because. Prior yeah. to the pandemic, I had paid someone to do everything. I had paid someone to cut my hair. I'd paid someone to do my toes. I'd paid someone to feed me sushi. And you know, and, exactly. and that was like yeah. I taught myself how to give pedicures. And and can be if you have, you know, the right attitude. I know it was really hard for a lot of people to just get over, you know, the funk of isolation yes. so much. Absolutely. And God, you know. Oh my God, Aaron! You look at China right now, and you go, oh. "Those people must be going insane." Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, I thought mm. here we maybe opened up things a little too soon. Um, I was being very, very careful, and knock on wood, neither Sean or I got COVID. But when we were doing our show in the summer, everybody else in the show got it. Yeah, I'm the only one in my friend group that never got it Um, because we be like I said, and, you know, for better, for worse, my mother, she made sure that we all stayed very, very, very safe. And and it is I like I said, grace of God kind of situation, because everyone, all of my girlfriends that got it, got it and have long haul COVID where they continue to get sick with other things like the flu or the cold or whatever and it's just 
you know, yeah, pneumonia it, level. It you know. becomes chronic, which is horrible. Right. Exactly. Wow. So I'm I'm very much, you know, here and for and, that. And, yeah. And I know, you know, lots of people that have been triple vaxxed, quadruple vaxxed, and they yeah. still get and it. And they still got it. Absolutely. You know, we've seen some friends, but only when they tell us the oh back to the theater. <laughs> And, you know, once we get to their house, we go, okay, you've had four, I've had, yeah, okay, the mask can come off, we're having dinner, but, you know, it's okay. Right, exactly. But certainly not um, taking chances in huge crowds and, you know, people that you don't know. And uh, I think it's paid off. Although, as I said, you know, you go on a film set, oh, there's 50, 60, 70 people. I mean, Mm. the crews are all masked i feel bad for them because they're working you know 14 15 hour days and they don't get to take their masks off i mean the actors do because we have to talk they uh, have to do the scene oh but, my gosh um, that crews are just you know it's like seeing those poor people that are you know working in hospitals and how the masks of you know in being just indelibly made these scars on their faces yeah from, from having a mask all the time yeah. It's, it's crazy wow it's amazing we were talking about how how we wanted to like watch positive tv shows and then we, we literally took the we, we took the podcast and we went straight dystopia <laughs> right down there straight down the narc narc alley yep yeah but oh but we God. can we can always go back to a positive right. note we should always end on a positive you should note. end on a positive note and i have a positive note i believe isn't there one of your christmas movies that is going to be on light is it lifetime yes it's called the ghosts of christmas past Ooh, okay the ghosts of christmas past and i have uh, several that play every year <laughs> anyway there's a santa baby and then santa baby 2 there's for crazy and it takes a christmas village i mean there i have about five or six christmas movies that um whether you like it or not play every christmas but most people want to talk about black christmas well that's no that's wonderful because my my sister is a huge hallmark christmas movie person so Oh, okay. Absolutely. I will tell her all of those. I'm sure she's probably already seen all of them. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, the first, the first Santa baby is really fun. And Jenny McCarthy plays my daughter. Uh, the oh. second one and, and George went plays Santa. The second one was not so much fun. We had, um, um, oh no, see, look, I've blocked his name. Paul Sarvino playing oh. Santa, who was kind of a, a mean and nasty Santa. After oh. after George went, he was so jolly. That's too and bad. But anyway, but Jenny was lovely anyway. So um, yeah, those are fun, and they come out every year. So I'll yeah, check those out. Yeah, I definitely will check those out. Well, Lynn, this a- exceeded any kind of. I mean, I was nervous. I was so nervous because oh, this is no, my first interview ever. Oh, go away! You are just like I feel like we know we knew each other from the start. It's the 17. Because you look like Rihanna. <laughs> it's it's the 17. We're connected it's by the, the 17. 17. We are connected somewhere numerologically. Somewhere in that there. That is even a word. I would love to keep in touch with you. Uh, it's you so been much. really, really sweet. And I, I do. I feel like I know you. I feel like this has been the easiest. It's sort of like having a family Zoom. 
Oh, thank you. That yeah, is that- so sweet. I was I was terrified. I was just like, I was like, you don't understand. Lynn Griffin is Canadian royalty. <laughs> Where's my crown? Where's my camera? I'm like, I don't know what's <laughs> well, well, believe me, you got you you've got the knack. You can oh, thank you. I mean, I'll I'll send you anyone you want. Oh, just tell me who you'd like to talk to and see if I can rouse them to talk to me. But yeah, it's been a real pleasure, I must say. Thank you so, so much. The sky is whispering snow, my love beside me in deep, sighs and thrums with longing for a Christmas long ago